Hello, and welcome to the place where the revolution will not be televised. But it may be podcast. I'm John. And I'm Kate. This is the People's Podcast. Today we're going to be discussing episode 15 of season 5 of The Walking Dead, titled Try. As usual, we'll discuss the episode from beginning to end, veering off on whatever tangents take our fancy, and then answer some general questions afterwards. This episode opens with a zombie approaching the wall at night. And just to remind us all, he steps over one of the lovely family photos that Sasha used for target practice a while back. Meanwhile, Deanna, Reg and Spencer, obviously having been appraised of what happened to Aiden, are sitting around in their house. And at first I thought there was a power outage still, which would make sense. Except their CD player is working mm. and they play Aiden's Run Mix CD, which is just awful. It is, isn't it? I hesitate to say he should have been killed for his taste in music, <laughs> but it's borderline. Anyway, it makes things very tense as we go over the next set of scenes, which are Carol doing a bit of baking. She can open up a new line in her store. It can be Carol's cardigans and casseroles. <laughs> and Sam cookies. And cookies. Yeah, she's very into all things lettuce Sam visits, or at least he turns up at the window. They've got a video baby monitor. Yeah. I'm coming back to this quite a lot of gratuitous energy use in this town. Well, as I've said before, I think it's indicative of just how much they had by way of resources. Well, it has to be, really. But it's just, yeah, I just, I consider video baby monitors to be a bit extravagant (laughs) in this world. (laughs) Up in the clock tower, Sasha is losing it. She's got tears in her eyes. She has to pull herself together to make a shot. Mm. And really is starting to look more and more like a liability. Which is... For her to be a liability while also being such a crack shot takes a fair bit of work. Mm. The walker gets up to the wall. Meanwhile, we cut back over to Deanna's place. Reg can't take the CD anymore. They turn it off, they hear a knock at the door, and Deanna finds a casserole and a card left on the doormat. And she leaves the casserole, takes the card in, and burns it. Mm. And just to cap everything off, Sasha finally makes her shot and kills the walker. And that's our opening set of shots. Mm. Except there is a bit of a headshot segue to Daryl and Aaron. Daryl's taken out one in a field, and Aaron comments that there's a lot more walkers around than they have been used to encountering. So there's an increase in the walker population, it seems. And they also spot a campfire. And then we're at the credits. Going back in, we see Nicholas's video recording of his version of what happened on the run that went bad last week. What a liar. He is... Such a bastard. Yeah. I mean, what's his option at this stage? But still. Originally, his choice could have been to not be a total conniving bastard. Yes. But, I mean, you're right. At this point, having done the things that he's done... In for a penny! (laughs) Yes. We do see a fair bit of this video, and it's interspersed with shots of Glenn giving his version of the run to Rick. In live action, obviously. Not by video. I'm assuming there are two videos, and we just haven't seen Glenn's. You would assume so. That's the impression you got as well? Yeah. Okay. I just thought it was interesting we only saw one. 
I thought it might have been symbolic of the fact that each of them is telling the story to the one who believes them. Also, to the person who they see as their leader. Yes. I'm not sure Deanna does believe him. Yeah, I know. Well, she didn't definitively say, we know that Rick believes Glenn. Yes. You just know that implicitly. But it did occur to me that this was a sort of reiteration of the fact that although these people all live together, there are very definitely two groups. Absolutely. And that even in a situation in which Deanna is questioning Nicholas's story, she might very well just side with him anyway. Maybe. We saw two things that I think are important in regards to this in the shots that we did see. One of them was her asking the one question from his story that really doesn't add up, which is, if they did all the evil stuff, why did they bring you back? Mm. They outnumbered you, they could have just left you. They could have just left him and made up a story. So why didn't they? Why are you back here? Mm. So she asked that question, and that's the one chink in his story. Yes. But also, she says to him that both he and Glenn are on a no-guns-no-runs rule. Yep. So, she's putting them both on lockdown until she gets to the bottom of this. I think all of that bodes fairly well, at least at the beginning of this episode, for her maybe being fairly even-handed. Mm. And I think as well, it'd be easier as a leader to be even-handed, given her philosophy of not executing, but just banishing. Because you'd never feel like you're making that sort of ultimate judgement. Yes. Nicholas says something that echoes what Gabriel said last episode. He says, you can't trust these people. Can't you see? They're not like us. Yeah. And Deanna says, you don't know what I see, and I see a great deal. Which, again, is a fairly enigmatic statement for someone who's asking you to believe their story. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Mm. The first thing that you ask yourself when you hear that is, what on earth is she thinking? Yeah. You know, what is going on inside her head? That she doesn't just go, oh, well, yes, of course, Nicholas. She does have the politician's gift for non-committal statements that sound like agreement. Yes. Back over at Rick and Glenn, Glenn is asking whether Rick thinks he should have just left Nicholas. What do you think? I think it was the right thing to do, to bring him back, if only so that there would be that chink. If they came back, just Glenn, Eugene and Tara, it becomes easy to imagine all sorts of things which could have resulted in all of the Alexandrians being killed. Noah as well, obviously, mm-hmm. but that's what happened. The net result is that Alexandrians are dead and the group is majority is still around. Mm. I think it was the right thing to do to bring Nicholas back. It also, I did think actually when Glenn did bring Nicholas back, I was thinking about what Glenn had said earlier about releasing the person from the crate all the way back at Terminus. Mm-hmm. And how later on he sort of said, oh, I'm not sure if I would have done that now. And of course, Nicholas isn't an innocent person, but he still saved him. He didn't go, you're just a bastard, I'm going to kill you. Hmm. I think it's indicative that the Glenn who thinks that, well, when you can save a life, you do, is not totally gone. Yes. I've also liked the way that they've been playing the dynamic between first Glenn and Aiden and now Glenn and Nicholas, Mm. which is that... It's clear from Glenn's point of view that these guys are so far beneath him that it's almost not worth his while. Like, only when they really come at him will he even bother to smack them down. Mm. And you saw that in the first run, and you saw it on the little stuff during the raid that went bad. Yeah, and it And even that, that thing of just, it's, I am so many leagues above you mm. that it's not even worth my while to hate you or kill you. Yes, epitomised when Glenn said to Aiden, no one's impressed. Yeah. That was the very pinnacle of totally deserved condescension from yes. him. 
So I feel like that dynamic is playing a part of Glenn's interactions with these guys. And I'm enjoying it immensely, because he is so much better than them. <laughs> yes. The other thing that Glenn and Rick discuss is their continued status in the community. Glenn is very worried that this is going to jeopardise their place in Alexandria. And you see Rick kind of bring Glenn in a little bit on the fact that it's not a question of if they're staying, it's only a question of how they're staying. Hmm. Are they staying in this sort of peaceful transition or are they staying by taking over? Hmm. But there's no question that the group might leave. The group is definitely staying. Rick heads over to say hi to Carol and she reports that she's received some stronger versions of the abuse from Sam. Hmm. Whereas last week we just left with very strong impressions and Carol's spidey sense, Mm. now she's got actual reports about Pete beating Jesse. So the fan theories were wrong then? Some of them. Well, the theory that Jesse was in fact the abuser and not the abused. Yes, there were a heap of wrong theories. I don't think that all of them were. Well, the majority of theories are wrong, aren't they? (laughs) No, No, but my point is I don't think that even most of these theories could be described as majority theories. I think most people were. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I meant meant majorities in number of, not, like, support of. Yeah. If there's three lunatic fans, I wouldn't call something a fan theory. (laughs) If the other 97,000 fans... Are you telling me my personal favourite explanation for something that happens in my TV show that only I'm aware of doesn't count as a fan theory? How dare you? (laughs) Carol says that if Ed had survived, she wouldn't be standing there. And Rick says that's not true. I'm interested in both of those questions. Do you think she's right? And if she's not right, what is Rick saying with that statement? I tend to believe Carol's feelings about where she was headed in the company of Ed. Okay. I mean, she remembers what it was like. And I suppose Rick may be getting at that the Carol that she is now was always inside of her in some form. And it was only a matter of time until it was unveiled, I suppose. He might have been getting at that. Or he might have been getting at, well, if the walkers hadn't got Ed, I would have got him for you. Yeah, that's what I saw. Mm. I mean, I think both those are perfectly reasonable readings of the scene, but that second one is what I saw. Yeah. Well, I kind of thought that what Carol meant was that without external intervention, Mm. not specifically walkers, but... Unless there was an external intervention, Ed would have killed her at some point. That's really what she was getting at. Yeah. And she did make her point. Oh, yeah. What Rick was saying is, well, I agree with you then. If the walkers hadn't taken care of Ed, then I would have been the one. Yeah. Particularly with his smile as he's saying it. Rick's smile? Yeah. Yeah. It feels pretty sure to me that... Oh, yeah, no, no, I think Rick saying that he would have taken care of it is definitely the most likely. Yeah. But there is that other one that occurred to me, that other explanation that perhaps he meant... You know, the carol that we love now. You would have emerged from the the beaten ashes. That's right. Yes. But like I said, I I tend to believe that the carol now remembers what she was like then and is fully aware of what she was capable of and that she is a different person now. Yeah. So she would not have fought her way out of it on her own. Yeah, I think it's fair enough. And certainly she's going to be the best judge of the two of these people anyway Mm. about who she was back then. Mm. Rick heads off for a nighttime stroll. And he sees in a pond that there's a toy boat floating along with a red helium balloon coming out of it. I was like, where the fuck are they getting helium from? Also, it's like (laughs) an infinite helium, because a day and a half later, the balloon's still going strong. Well, helium balloons don't deflate overnight. 
actually, that's one of the things they do. And I think it takes a bit longer than just overnight. Have you ever done them for a party? By the next morning, yeah. they're sad sack and halfway down the walls. Maybe it's a new balloon. Maybe. <laughs> we are constantly confronted with this idea that Alexandria has got an embarrassment of resources. Okay, so one of the things they have is these new high-tech balloons. No, no, just several canisters of helium and packets of Are balloons. you saying each of them is a different balloon? Yeah, that's what I meant. Okay, well that's more believable than that <laughs> the helium lasted for a day and a half. <laughs> Do you think maybe I meant that somehow in Alexandria they'd invented a new kind of rubber? That's what they're putting their resources into. New balloon technology. <laughs> R&D into balloon technology. Exactly. <laughs> because they've solved all the other problems. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the real issue that's confronting this community now is how do we have everlasting helium balloons? We want balloons that are going to outlast humanity. <laughs> Maybe it's their emergency getaway plan. Is they going to... Have you seen Up? Disney's oh. Up? <laughs> That's their emergency. Every house will just have this enormous collection of helium balloons. They'll, just, they'll become a sky community. Oh, forever no. safe from the walkers. Excellent. <laughs> that is actually the answer. Sky community. Living in the sky. Yeah, I'm sure that's season 11. <laughs> I think more like season 50. So, apart from its magical qualities, <laughs> this balloon pops up a few times in the episode, and I'm wondering what you think it signifies. I think the most obvious thing that springs to my mind is that balloons have a very close affiliation with childhood, being carefree and innocence, that kind of thing. And I suppose seeing a balloon for Rick because he sees it several times. He's the avatar through which we witness this balloon repeatedly, mm-hmm. is when Rick sees it. Yes. And every time he would see that, presumably that's a reminder that there is innocence here, that it's being ruined mm. by an abusive man. So that's the first thing that springs to mind. The second thing that springs to mind is that balloons are frail. They're fleeting. If you let go of it even for a second, it's gone. And so it's sort of an analogy for life in this world. You've got to hold on really fucking strong to keep it. I think definitely towards the end what we see is Rick's theory about the Alexandrians is they don't hold on nearly strongly enough to the things that they have. Okay. Well, both of those are better than anything I've got because I've got nothing. (laughs) Okay. Here was me assuming that you were going to have some grand... Oh, no, Grand I'm, theory. So I'm quite proud of that, coming I'm, off with both of those on the, on the spot. Fair enough. I'm totally <laughs> at sea regarding the balloon. Okay. I'd be interested to know if any of our listeners have a theory about the balloon and what it stands for. Yeah. Please let us know. Pete comes up and says hi to Rick. And Rick has no time for this conversation. No, he looks really very menacing, doesn't he? In the yeah. Darkness. And I mean, obviously, Pete doesn't know that there's a gun behind his thigh, but... Watching that scene, you can see Rick visibly shaking... Only a little, but yeah. he is visibly shaking, clearly with the effort to not shoot him on the spot. Yeah. Rick's whole thesis this episode, or at least the part of his theory that conflicts with Deanna's, is about what it means to regulate behaviour within the group. Yes. And I feel like we've moved through these set of stages on this show where the very first few seasons the threat is the walkers, and then you move very clearly into the threat <coughs> being other people, yes. other groups. And once you've dealt with both of those, the next threat or danger that needs to be dealt with is your own group. Yes. And I feel like we're starting to move into... I mean, I know that not all of Alexandria counts, really, as Rick's group yet, Mm. but they kind of are starting to. Mm. And some of the stuff that's going on with Sasha, 
Mm. I mean, what do you do when someone in your group is that much of a liability? And that's what Glenn's dealing with with Nicholas to some extent. Yep. And we'll get to that scene later on. But I feel like there's starting to be this very strong theme about how do you need to manage your own group's behaviour to stay safe? Yes. Which is a very interesting question. Because it's one thing to shoot them up with other people, but what do you do when it is your own doctor or Sasha or any number of other people? Hmm. Well, I think we know what Rick's answer is. I think we do. So Rick says keep walking, and if someone said keep walking to me like that, I would do what Pete did, which is to piss off quick. Yes. Next morning, we see Michonne waking up, and she doesn't... Well, she looks miserable, really. She does, doesn't she? You can see her sort of debating about whether or not to put on the shirt or the uniform. And Rosita comes in, she gives her a quick update saying Tara seems to be stabilising, which is good news. But she mentions mostly that Sasha has disappeared. Mm. And so Michonne decides it's a shirt day today, leaves the uniform on the bed, and she and Rosita head off into the woods. And for both of them, it's the first time they've been outside Mm. since they arrived. How far into being at Alexandria do you think they are now? A couple of weeks. Yeah, that's the sort of vibe I'm getting to. Mm. Because of the discussion between Noah and Glenn last episode, we know that they must have been there for at least a week. So, I mean, at least ten days is my kind of feeling, but it Mm. feels a little longer than that to me. Yeah, well, there's also clearly been some time between when Glenn and Eugene and Nicholas got back and this episode. You didn't think it was that night? No. Why not? I did have a reason, but I can't remember. I I thought there was something that happened in the episode that made me go, oh, okay, it's definitely a couple of days later. Okay. I felt like those discussions at the beginning, so Glenn telling Rick... Yeah. ...and Deanna having just recently done the video with Nicholas... Yeah. Why would they wait any time at all to get the version of what had happened from their people? No, I thought that what happened pre-opening credits did happen straight away. Mm-hmm. But then what follows on afterwards is a little bit after that, like, you know, a day or two after. And I remember why I thought that now. It's because of the information that Carol has that Sam tells her about Jesse being beaten up. It seemed like they would have had to have spent some more time together. And that means at least another day, I think, must have gone past. Because Sam ran away. Like, he must have come back. And I don't think you just well, we see come him back. come back when she's cooking the casserole. And that's on the same night as when Glenn is giving Rick the story of what happened. Mm, okay. Alright. I think right. there's a quick turnaround. Okay. I'm happy to go with that. Michonne and Rosita are outside for the first time. They're walking around the woods. Rosita asks... Well, she comments that Michonne seems to be troubled by the fact that they found safety, that she seems to be not dealing with it in some way. But it's a bit of a turnaround, because she was the most eager to get there. You know, mm. she was the one that really pushed the group to go after this opportunity at safety. So it's a bit of a 180 to now be feeling uncomfortable about it. Yeah. I wasn't sure what to make of it on the first watch through, and I'm still not really sure that I've got my head around it. I'd be interested to hear what you think as we go through. But what I think after we get the second scan through is that she's guilty about what happened to Noah because she's used to being there when stuff goes bad and being able to help. She says she feels like she was asleep in there, inside the walls, when they're talking about what happened to Noah. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if she's just struggling with a bit of guilt about what happened to him and also with letting go of feeling that responsibility for the whole group at all times. Yeah. I think that's plausible. I don't have an alternative theory. Well, I think that at least that guilt can coexist with still actually thinking the whole Alexandria plan is a good one in general. 
Yeah. Because otherwise, a whole lot of the stuff in this episode doesn't really seem to fit together for her. Yeah. Oh, look, like I said, I can't really think of a better explanation. It certainly sounds plausible to me. And it does fit with before the group got to Alexandria. Michonne was kind of mother bearing it up for the group. Mm. She was the one with the fucking sword. And she was very, very concerned with the group's safety, you know, as a whole. In a sense, she was kind of like Rick's counterpart in terms of looking after the group. Carol notwithstanding. (laughs) Carol being the wild card that they would play when shit really hits the fan. (laughs) The the strength of the group, of course, is that a whole lot of people step up when it's their moment to step up. Yes. But certainly Michonne was one of those people. Yes. And particularly recently, she had been a protector at the forefront of the struggle to keep the group alive. We've talked in the past about how much she felt like a protector of the young members of the group. Yeah. So maybe Noah ticked a few of those boxes for her as well. Yeah, we know that she lost her own child, mm-hmm. and so there may be a, a lingering psychological need to protect anyone who is not an adult who happens to be around her, and mm. there's probably some lingering guilt about the loss of her own child as well. Speaking about the loss of children, Deanna is at some grave sites. Now, obviously, it can't be Aiden's grave, because they didn't bring him back. No. Presumably these are some people who just have... Oh, maybe it's the four people who were lost before. I was just about to say, I thought it might have been... I don't think they would have brought their bodies back either if they'd been attacked by walkers Mm. and they had to run away. Mm. So these are just some people who have died in the course of Alexandria's history. Well, yes. That is the most general description which must be true. The other alternative, of course, is that people do make graves when they don't have bodies. They don't dig up the soil, though. They make headstones and they make... Alright, so Alexandria has a lot of resources. I'm not sure it has the resources to make headstones. No, no, I'm not, uh, my point is those were dug graves. You yeah. don't take the time to dig up... You make a memorial for someone, sure. You might even make a placeholder grave. You don't take the time to dig out a foot of soil, turn it over. Well, some people bury empty coffins. And they don't have a body to bury. Well, I think those are some other graves. <laughs> okay. The important thing here is that Rick is coming up to discuss the Pete and Jesse situation Mm. with Deanna. And she already knows. She does. Which does make sense. You know, if Deanna is the magnificent reader of people that she claims, that does make sense that she would know about it. What's shocking, of course, is she's done absolutely nothing about it. Yes. I mean, the other reason she would know about it, as well as her magical psychic skills is if it's taken their group a week to work it out, and these people have all been living together for two years, I don't think that Pete's some sort of criminal mastermind. (laughs) Something would have tipped someone off at some point. Well, yes. But yes, she's done nothing about it. Mm. Now, her reason is that Pete is the surgeon. Yeah, I thought that was weak. We have talked a bit about it's not nothing to consider what it is to lose a surgeon. No, no, no. I'm not saying I thought that she should have exiled him. What I'm saying is that when she questions Rick, well, what do you do then? And Rick's like, uh, you separate him? You just say, well, you're just not allowed to do this. And everyone in this community is committed to you not being allowed to do this. So you can live here, you can have your food, and you can do your stuff. But you're not allowed anywhere near these people. And if you do, there will be other consequences which don't involve exiling you or killing Mm. you, but are nevertheless going to be unpleasant. It did occur to me that Deanna might have actually confronted him at some point about his behaviour, and he might have said to her, leave me alone or I'm just not going to do anything to help anyone. 
In which case, I thought, well, at that point, you're not being any use anyway, so you may as well be exiled. Mm. You know, like, fine, he's got this kind of bargaining chip in being a doctor, but he can't really afford to play it. He can't afford to play not being a doctor, because then he's useless, and they might as well get rid of him. Yeah. I thought this was a really weak scene for Deanna. Mm. It made her look like a very poor judge of what to do. In the same way that Dawn was weak to various people in her community, Mm. it's making Deanna seem that way as well. Yes. Is she in charge or not? Which isn't to say I want her to be a full-blown dictator, but if she can't deal with a situation like this, if the whole community having a doctor is something that Jessie has to pay for in this way, that's not a good system. No, it's not. If she can't deal with the situation, then that's pretty damning of her. Especially when there are all these things that she could try to fix. Yeah. You would think the community would be invested in solving the problem. Yeah. And they must all know about it. But, you know, I mean, we all know that domestic violence isn't something that our society deals with very well. People do like to ignore it. Yeah. Stuff like the fact that Carol has changed into someone who won't put up with this and won't let someone else have to put up with it either. Yeah. Shouldn't some of the other people in this community have similar feelings? Shouldn't some of the other people have also gone through enough of outside to have turned them into the kind of ruthless people who would just say, we're not putting up with this. I suppose the evidence would say no. So it would seem. Maybe it isn't widely known. Maybe Diana knows. Yeah, the thing that I can't get over is what you said before. In two years, people didn't notice that Jesse was sporting bruises quite frequently. Yeah. That Sam seems to be a really messed up kid. It's hard to believe that it's not something that is an open secret. Mm. In the whole of Alexandria, and the whole community has just totally failed to deal with it. Yeah. The other thing they discuss is the banishment versus execution debate. Mm. I almost feel like they're not having the same conversation. This is something that you and I have debated. Mm. But when we've talked about it, we've talked about both what's the right choice and what's the smartest choice for survival. I feel like in this conversation, Deanna was talking about what's the right choice, and Rick was talking about the smartest choice for survival. Yes. And that's the whole problem. They can't get on the same page about which of those frameworks they're living in. Yeah, well, Deanna kind of gives it away when she says, this is civilization, we don't kill people. Mm-hmm. And Rick is just going, what are you talking about? This is about survival. Of course we kill people. Yeah. They're at polar opposite ends of how to get shit done. There's the moment a couple of episodes ago where Rick was pressed up against the fence with yep. Walker just outside. <laughs> yes. And then this episode, a lot of Sasha's stuff has been happening in the context of actually there's a lot of walkers just outside the fence. Mm-hmm. And towards the end, Rick said something like, it's the same in here or out there. You fight or you die. I think it's Rick's view that the wall's great, but it's actually a really thin barrier between this supposed civilization they've set up and everything that was true before they came inside. Yeah. And the horrors of outside are really close. Yeah. They're just a small floor in the wall away. Mm. Michonne and Rosita are still outside trailing Sasha and they notice that she's shooting all of the walkers in the back of the head. Mm. Which means that she's hunting them, not defending herself from them. Yes. Also outside, Carl is following Enid really badly. <laughs> Apparently he's too noisy. Which I was a little bit surprised about. You would have thought Daryl would have given him lessons. Oh, presumably he did. I think that was meant to show how good at this scene it is. Yes. Even better than Rick's group. That kind of thing. Yes. They have a sort of flirt slash bonding slash arguing thing going on. 
Yes. Well, it's like what we hypothesised episodes ago mm. when they first arrived in Alexandria. We suspected that Carl would find he actually had a lot more in common with Edith than with the other kids. And yeah. And I feel like we get more true. of that in their next scene. He starts off with the basics. We should go back inside. What on earth are you doing out here? She mentions that Carl scares her. Hmm. Which is an interesting thing for her to say. But she's not going back inside. She refuses. And, in fact, she heads off running. And suddenly they're both running in slow motion and they look like they're actually having fun. Mm. This is a fucked up world. <laughs> well, I was thinking while I was watching that, I was like, is this the kind of world where you can run carefree through the forest? I think not. Eh. <laughs> I think it's a sense of freedom kind of thing. Yeah. And they're not that carefree because they do at least notice the walker before it notices them. Enid uses a kitchen timer ploy to distract the walker. Yeah, it made me wonder how many times she's used this ploy and whether Alexandria is getting dangerously low on kitchen timers. Well, presumably once it stops ringing, the walkers get bored with it and walk away and she can pick it up the next day. Okay. If she remembers where she threw it. I don't get the impression she's roving that far. I think she's just roving in order to do it. Don't you? Yeah, she doesn't seem to have any particular goal. No. She's just wandering about. Yeah. Glenn confronts Nicholas... Basically, he says, if you hadn't found this place as early as you did, you'd be dead out there. Mm. So, here's the new rules. You're never leaving again. You're not doing anything outside. You're not going out with anyone thinking that you're going to have their back. And if you stick to that rule, you'll probably survive. Mm. There's the basic sort of, is this a threat? (laughs) From Nicholas. I know. I don't know if you had the same reaction that I did, which was just to go, oh. No one's impressed again. Yeah. You know, no one is impressed with your bullshit bravado. And Glenn's response of, that's how you're going to get to live. Yeah. No, 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 I'm doing you a favour. I'm I'm explaining how you can continue to exist without being killed. And it was, look, it was a cool scene. I loved it. It doesn't work so well in the context of the fact that they're both basically awaiting Deanna's judgement. Yeah. If this was after she'd made a decision, then this scene, I think, would make a lot more sense. Maybe Glenn did it because he knows whatever Deanna decides, Rick's going to be the one who decides what happens to him, so he's fine. Yeah, yeah. I thought Glenn was basically preempting any of Deanna's decisions on purpose. Mm-hmm. He didn't want, for example, for Deanna to maybe say that she believed Nicholas, and then he's gearing up, ready to go out again with some other people, and Glenn has to do it then. I think he was deliberately preempting Deanna's decision by basically going, look, it doesn't actually matter what Deanna decides. You're just never going out again. <laughs> this is not a thing for you anymore. Yeah. Regardless of what Deanna says. Yeah. Having escaped the walker, Carl and Eve have a sit down next to a log and they're talking about whether or not their pasts matter. She obviously just wants to forget and not discuss what happened to her mother, mm. whose knife she has. Where it seems that Carl would actually quite like to discuss some of the shit he's been through, I think. He'd probably like to discuss it, but I think also he wants to know what happened to her. I think that's the key thing. Yes. Well, I got the impression that what he really wanted to do, as you say, he wanted to know what happened to her, specifically because he wanted to be able to share, I guess, a shared experience with her of, Mm -hmm. look, so you had this shit happen to you, I had this shit happen to me. Yep. That kind of thing. Like, I think he wanted to create that conversation where each of them would feel like they'd found someone like themselves. Yep. I think that maybe that's what he was hoping for. I've got the impression over the last few episodes that Carl has very much come to terms with the stuff that he's had to do and the stuff that he's witnessed. Mm. The fact that he was able to talk so openly about what happened with Laurie is a sign of that. 
Whereas Enid is very shut down about it. Yeah, which makes you wonder. I mean, Carl still had his dad and a group mm-hmm. of people who cared about him to support him afterwards. Yeah. I'm not saying that they were all sitting in a circle, you know, sharing their feelings with each other. But it's better than not having anyone. And I wonder whether Edith was perhaps left alone, because she's only alone when she got to Alexandria. Mm. So whether, because she didn't have that support, her solution was to bury it. Yeah, that's rough. Mm. The whole time they're sitting there, I was thinking, why are you both facing the same way? (laughs) Yes. And at least these weren't stealth walkers that turned up, because they hear the swarm and manage to duck inside a hollowed out tree before the swarm gets to them. Mm. And they're squished in together face to face, and they have, I think, what could be described as a moment. They definitely have a moment. It's really quite sweet. (laughs) I really enjoyed where Enid smirked and said, oh, you're afraid of me too. (laughs) Part of me actually wondered at the time whether Carl was thinking to himself, I was worried that this was never going to happen. (laughs) (laughs) I think Chandler Riggs is playing this really well. Yeah. He's playing that perfect combination of pure joy and pure terror. Yes. Really well. Yes. Yeah. Oh, look, it's a girl. She likes me. I don't know what to do. He has has the best swarm ever. (laughs) That's right. I just imagine in future excursions outside, they'll be wandering in the same area and he'll be like, I think I can hear a walker. Quick, let's go inside the hollowed out tree where we have to be pressed up against each other again. (laughs) I think you can pull that shit once before you realise what was happening. (laughs) Well, I think in my ideal fantasy of it, he decides to get in on the act too. Then they start taking turns. Hark, I hear a walker. Into the tree. (laughs) (laughs) One of the walkers that goes past has a W on its forehead. Mm. We've started to see this more and more. There were definitely several of them this episode. This stuff's starting to get really ominous. We also see that Nicholas is the one who got the blender gun. He's digging it out of a half-buried biscuit tin. Mm. I don't like the idea that he's armed. No. Sasha's still hunting. Apparently she has the ability to take down large groups of walkers without any of the other ones hearing her. Because they all keep walking away from her. (laughs) Yes, it's that uh, magical TV silencer that completely silences bullets. Even though in real life they're still extraordinarily loud, even with the silencer on them. Yes, (laughs) yeah. And even though, even on the TV, we can hear it. (laughs) Yes. This must be a special swarm of death walkers. Well, there must have been some. There must have been some, that's true. <laughs> I know. That particular swarm, right? It was a group of deaf people all on an outing in a bus. Uh-huh. And obviously, you know, the bus crashed and everyone died. And this particular swarm is all deaf people. You've solved it. Makes perfect sense. Thank you. Michonne and Rosita catch up with her, and she doesn't want to back down at all and go back. Even when the swarm that's past Carl and Enid catches up with them. She stands her ground, and she's very much pulling a Tyrese, basically. Mm. As Sasha starts shooting the walkers, each gunshot, Michonne is flashing back to her using her sword on a walker in the past. Mm. And eventually she starts shooting them as well. And when Sasha says to her, I don't need your help, back off, Michonne says this isn't for you. So she's obviously doing it for herself. Mm. What do you think's going on there? Well, I think the flashbacks, they weren't just of Michonne using her sword. 
every time she went back further yes. to the point where she was the way that we saw her when we first encountered her. She was wearing that hood and she had the two walkers on chains, the armless and jawless ones. Which is a state that she has subsequently described as being one of the dead herself. Yes. So I think there was a sort of micro-regression going on there. Mm-hmm. And I think it was also an attempt to wake herself up. She talked about feeling like she was asleep inside. And I think this was an attempt to try and reconnect with the alertness, the awareness that she felt Mm. when she was outside. I think that makes sense. In the episode where Abraham talks to her on the veranda outside the party, he says something like, you're afraid you're going to have to use the sword again, but also you're afraid that you'll forget how to use the sword again. Hmm. I felt like she was reassuring herself that she could still operate outside the walls. Sure, yeah. Sasha runs out of bullets. She takes out a couple, but then the third one knocks her down, and then Michonne shoots it. And Sasha really loses it at Michonne Mm. for saving her life. Yes, I thought that was uncalled for. (laughs) Yeah. And she says a whole bunch of stuff that's uncalled for. She says that everything worked out for Michonne. This is a woman who lost her entire family. Yeah, who had to live on her own for a long period of time and all the shit with Andrea and all the shit with the governor and this is someone for whom this world has worked out. Yeah, no, I I was thinking exactly the same thing. What is Sasha on about? I mean, maybe what she meant was that it worked out for you, you got through the terrible pain and I'm still here in it or something. Maybe. But that just sort of made me think, well, you're clearly just not done yet. Yes, terrible things have happened to you. It's going to take some time. Yeah. It's going to take more time. And the idea that Michonne is lucky is just bullshit. Yeah. Here's a character we absolutely know enough about their backstory to say, no, they're not someone who's lucked their way through this apocalypse. Mm. And I feel like it was a deliberate choice to have her say that to Michonne. Because she could have yelled at Rosita, you Mm. know. But to have her say it to Michonne and to have Michonne look at her with that stoical, quizzical face, like, sorry, you think it worked out for who? You know, I think it was a deliberate choice to make Sasha look like she was over the edge. Yeah. And she's screaming that no one can help her and she's haunted by what she said to Noah about the fact that he wouldn't make it. Yes. I suppose you might feel... I mean, I wouldn't because I'm not in any way superstitious or think that what you say or think has any effect on what actually happens in the real world. Yeah. But I suppose she might be feeling like she tempted fate by saying to Noah, you're not going to make it. And I guess given what she's already gone through, Mm. that one extra thing is something that she didn't really need to deal with. Yeah. And yet she is having to. I think as well, that's the key point, given what she's already gone through. One of the problems with the whole you just need more time, you're not done yet, approach that they've been using so far with her is that once you're at a certain level of trauma, that doesn't work. Yeah. You just go into a cycle of re-experiencing the trauma. Yeah. And each one of those cycles reinforces it. Mm. And so just sort of waiting for her to walk it off isn't going to do it. Mm. Which then raises the question, what are they going to do? They're going to have to address that next episode. Mm. Daryl and Aaron, we're back to, and they're at the fire that they saw the night before. I have a question about this, which is actually just about timeline, because we're well into the day at this stage. So they saw this fire last night, and if they saw it, it can't have been that far away. Mm. Why didn't they witness what happened to these people? Yeah, I don't know. I wondered that too. 
I mean, I think basically just because it was convenient for the, for the storytelling. <laughs> the campfire wasn't that far away, unless their vehicles were quite a lot further away. Leaving in them would have alerted the people at the campfire that there were people around, because, I mean, motorbikes are quite loud. Well, especially his motorbike. Yeah. So I suspect that whatever large vehicle they had, they went back to that and spent the night in it. I guess. I found it odd that their purpose is to find and observe groups. And they were out with that purpose. Mm. They spot a fire. Mm. And instead of going over and beginning to observe, (laughs) they think, oh, they'll probably still be there at noon tomorrow. Yeah, it's odd. It worked well for the reveal later on, but (laughs) they do go look at the campfire eventually. What they find is a whole lot of body parts. And it looks like what a body would add up to if you minus the torso. Yeah. Was it... I mean, it did look like a walker body, didn't it? It wasn't a person. Oh, I thought it was a person's body. Oh, okay. Maybe it was. But I don't, I don't really have an opinion. It could be either. I mean, yeah. how would you, once the limbs are chopped off, how do you define that? Well, I suppose state of decay. I thought the limbs looked sort of decayed. And if they'd just cut them up last night, then you'd think that it was a walker. The other thing that they find is a woman's body tied up to a tree that had clearly been tied there so that it could be eaten by walkers. Yes. Who have really gone after her guts. And her forehead has a W carved onto it. Mm-hmm. Daryl's already said that he thinks this all happened fairly recently. Mm. Just happened. But it's happened definitely recently enough that she's only just turning into a walker yeah. when they arrive. Yep. And Daryl puts her out of her afterlife. This is the first really strong link we've had between the torso chopping and the W. Yeah, it's really chilling, actually. It also makes me wonder if it leads back to the woman that was found in a boot earlier this season. Mmm, maybe. Because we've got the woman abduction thing going on as well. Mmm. It doesn't add up to fun times. No. I feel like this is too much foreshadowing for something that's not going to come up next episode. Yep. Maybe only at the very end of it, but I feel like this has got to come up by the end of the season. Well, the fact that the season finale is 90 minutes... There is enough time to have, I guess, some kind of resolution to the internal turmoil in Alexandria and at least a partial reveal about what all this W carved on the forehead and torsos of people and Mm. at least some reveal about that. Yeah. Because you're right, it's too much foreshadowing to just leave it there. Or if they do, I'm going to be super angry. (laughs) What if... I'm just thinking of all the foreshadowing that's happened this season that hasn't paid off yet. Mm. What if... The person doing the W's is Morgan. Fuck yeah. I don't like it. No. But it's possible. What if they're the W's? What if they're upside down M's? I guess. <laughs> I'm reaching now, but... Yeah. <laughs> what if Morgan's just going to turn up in the last episode? I kind of feel like he has to. Maybe. We haven't seen him since he went into the church and found the That's map. the half season. Yeah, that's a really long time. What do you think Daryl and Aaron's best play is here? Should they go back and report, or should they investigate and try and find out what's going on? I feel like the two of them out there are quite exposed to this person who can walk past them towards the campfire and do all this stuff. I don't mean, like, literally right past them. I just mean this person who is able to operate without either of these two observers noticing. Yeah. I feel like they should go back and tell because I'm really freaked out by what they've seen. And Mm. I think, even for Daryl, it must be quite disturbing. I mean, he's seen some shit. But that must be quite disturbing. And it would speak to me of an imminent threat to Alexandria. Mm. And I feel like that if I was in that position, I'd be feeling, I need to go and tell everyone about this, because 
shit's fucked. We could be threatened any day, any hour, possibly. Yeah. Because I also feel like that has to be more than one person as well. I feel like it's at least a reasonable assumption to go, there is another group, possibly, doing these things. Well, the only thing we've seen said of this group, if we assume that this is the group that attacked Richmond. The wolves. The wolves. Wolves is plural, obviously. Mm. Wolves not far is the graffiti which seems like something that someone took the time to graffiti while the attack was imminent on Richmond. Well, it occurred to me that maybe the wolves themselves did it. Maybe. That would make more sense than someone taking time out of their life to daub some paint while the place was under attack. Mm. But yeah, wolves definitely plural. Not a good sign. Bad times. Bad times. <laughs> like there are any other kind these days. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's slow motion running through the woods. Yes, in between being eaten by cannibals and packs of human wolves. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. There's some good times. <laughs> well, don't forget, Carl did find a girl. Exactly. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> I feel like the wave pattern has dropped a long way down <laughs> the good and bad scale. Yes, the zero-sum game is now quite shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, Jesse is smoking. The universal TV signs are stressed out. Rick comes in and confronts her about what's going on with Pete. Yep. We run through a bunch of the fairly common responses. I can deal with this. I can help him. He's going to change. He's going to change. He, my favourite moment from the entire interaction was, oh, there's things to do with Pete's past. I don't care. I don't care. Yes, I saw you enjoying that particular moment. I think I nodded emphatically. You did. Yeah. <laughs> So in the face of all of this, Rick just says that's not the case, because the next step is him killing you, and Rick offers to fix it. This segues into Jesse confronting Rick about whether or not he likes her, and is that why he's doing this? Mm. And he basically says yes. Mm. I wondered in that moment what Jesse's reaction would be, depending upon his response, whether that was actually going to influence whether she said yes or not. Mm. Because, I mean, if he would do this for anyone, how does that make that any more attractive or less attractive an option? I don't like the idea that he only wants to help this woman because he wants to boff her. Yeah, I don't like it either. He's done heaps to help plenty of people he wasn't attracted to, unless he's secretly holding a torch for Glenn. We're all holding a torch for Glenn. Hey, rule 34, it's out there. So, it was an interesting dynamic, but I also don't know why it's relevant whether or not Rick likes her for this conversation. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Like, yeah. uh, what are you going to say no if you're not special enough? Yeah. <laughs> Is that it? Maybe it wasn't relevant to her answer. Maybe she just wanted to know. Yeah, well, it does work if you look at it in that light. I mean, she's struggling with it, she's a married woman and all that stuff, but she does hope that he likes her. Mm. And then she does, of course, agree in the end. In the end. But first she tells him to rack off. And yeah. he leaves. And he goes back outside and he sees Sam running around with the boat and the red balloon and its magical helium supply. <laughs> he looks at all the people who are happily getting on with their lives while she's got this sort of private hell going on. Mm. And he barges back into the house. Mm. I'm very much in two minds about this. Because at some point, if you're the bloke turning up to save her from another bloke. Mm. How are you doing anything less to rule her life than he is? I mean, sure, you're not doing it while beating her, and that's a big step up, but (laughs) it's not a super empowering move. Yeah, maybe Rick takes the view that empowerment can wait, not being beaten can't. 
I think he definitely takes that view, and I think that view has a lot of merit, but I did feel a little uncomfortable that she'd given a really clear, could you please fuck off, mm. for now. I mean, you could reapproach the next day, you can... Yeah, but you could see in that moment, what Rick was thinking was, maybe I can't reapproach tomorrow, because maybe she'll be dead tomorrow. If that's what he was thinking, I'm not sure it came across. I think he was thinking, this situation just is fucked up, and I need to fix it now, because I need to fix it. But he does say to her, the next step is you're dead. Yeah. So I think that was him putting that across. Maybe. I don't think it was clear enough if that's what was striking him as he stood outside. Yeah. I think he decided it was more important to remove her from the situation than it was to feel like he was giving her agency. I think that he just made that choice. I think he definitely did. Mm. I just, I'm not sure how I feel about it. Speaking of the meaning of the red balloon, he goes outside and he sees that, and if it's innocence, I think that works really well, if that's Mm. what it's symbolising. Because he goes back in and he pushes a button that he didn't push the first time around, which is to talk about her kids yeah. and some of the stuff that this is doing to them. Mm. The fact that Sam asked for a gun. You're right, it was a button because it works immediately. She'd been keeping it together and then he says to her, your son asks us for a gun to protect you and she starts crying instantly. That was very definitely a button push. Yeah. And you can kind of argue that that's manipulation, But it's something that she didn't know, that if I was a mother, I would want to know. Yeah, yeah. And so I think it was fair enough that he said that to her. And as I said, you know, you can call it manipulation. But the other thing is, actually, I am now going to tell you the full extent of the situation that you were in, which perhaps you have not fully comprehended. I consider that it could be interpreted as manipulation, but I also thought it didn't matter at that particular point in time. Yeah. I guess the other way to view what he's doing is to view it as a sort of intervention. Sure, he's getting in her face when she's told him to fuck off. Mm. But I'm not sure people do have the rights for self-determination when what they're choosing is really hurting themselves. Yes, and that was basically what I was going to say, was that although the issue about the fact that she did quite clearly tell him to go away, the fact that he didn't go along with that, you can quite easily go, well, that's a decision made pretty much under duress of this other man's heel. And so it's not unreasonable to go, you wouldn't be making this choice if you weren't already seriously oppressed Mm -hmm. by this other person. Rick was not in a situation where there was a perfect answer here. He could have left her alone and she could have been beaten later on or possibly killed. And yeah, I'm not super comfortable with the taking away of agency, but I think that he did the right thing at the end of the day. I think he did... The thing that ensured her safety yeah. in the immediate to short term. It gets raised in both the garage scene and the inside the house scene. The question of whether or not he fancies her. I feel like maybe that's the writers of the show trying to throw up some uncertainty about what he's choosing to do. Mm. Is he making this choice for the right reasons? Is mm. it, if that's their intention, I just don't care. Because I still basically think his choice is right. If he's only doing it because he wants to have it off with her, <laughs> then mm. that's that's sad and I wish he'd make the choice for everyone, not just people he's attracted to. Yeah. But I still can't fault the decision too much. Yeah. So I'm not, as we were saying before, I'm not sure why that's relevant, whether or not he likes her. Yeah, I agree with that. Which makes me wonder why they keep bringing it up. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, I guess it does add that extra layer of moral complexity to the question of, is this just another man imposing his will upon her for his own purposes? You mm-hmm. know, his own purposes is that he wants to have sex with Jesse, mm-hmm. Or the way he would say that he wants to have a relationship with her, possibly. But ultimately, I agree with you. 
at that point in time, it doesn't really matter. What matters is that Jesse is not in danger anymore. I suppose where it might come into play is how other people view what he's done, if it seems to be widely known that he fancies Jesse. Yes, the perception of what went on could be heavily influenced by that. Speaking of what went on, Pete comes home just after Jesse has finally said, yes, she'll accept Rick's help and accept Rick's protection. Mm. Or Pete comes into the room at that stage. Jesse stands up to Pete, mm. tells him he needs to leave. We definitely get a taste of how he chooses to menace her. And Rick stands up to him as well and says, nope, we're both going now, you and me. Pete is not up for that plan and a fight ensues. And Rick tackles Pete out the window. <laughs> Always yes. a good move. We come back from the ad break and it's a vicious fight. Mm. The two of them are fighting to kill. Yeah, it's no hold barred, desperate struggle. It's each of them really struggling to keep on top of the other one. Mm-hmm. I have to say, I was a little bit surprised that it was such an evenly matched struggle. Pete's bigger than Rick, mm-hmm. but Rick has spent a couple of years having to be physically fit to survive. Yeah. That wouldn't have gone away in ten days. Pete's one of the few people in this town who's practising punching on a regular basis. Yes. But not with someone who fights back. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. not exactly with someone who fights back, and not in any punching to survive kind of way. It's a it's punching to beat someone down. You only punch them as hard as is needed yeah. to oppress them. <laughs> I didn't mind that they were evenly matched for a little while, but the outcome that we got in the end, where Rick came out on top, that's the only outcome I would have thought was reasonable. And yes. Realistic. As we're going through, first Jessie tries to stop them and she gets punched away, which mm. is not great. Mm. And Carl tries to stop Rick and gets pushed away, which mm. I guess is marginally better. Neither of those is great. Mm. But what I found amazing was the whole town has turned up to watch... Yes. Like, by the time Deanna shows up, Glenn is there, Carl is still there, and there's all these Alexandrians around. Mm. None of them decide to get in and stop this fight that looks like it's going to lead to at least one person's death. Yeah. I thought that possibly the Alexandrians are just so not got to grips with this world that, oh my god, it's violence, and oh, I don't know what to do, that kind of thing. But that's a stretch even for the Alexandrians. Mm. The idea that none of them would intervene. Yeah. By the time there's 15 of them standing around. Yeah. I thought it was a little bit more believable that Rick's group didn't intervene. Because if I was one of them, my money would be on Rick anyway. If you're his group, I don't think you stop the fight to save Rick. No, no. But I think you might stop the fight to stop the fight that might get you all kicked out of Alexandria. Yeah. Except, I mean, Cal, for example, probably wants that fight to happen. If this was the beginning of the group taking over Alexandria, yeah. perhaps she's thinking, right, this is it. This Had is the to happen catalyst. eventually? Yeah, yeah, this is the catalyst. Rick is ascending. That works for Carol, and maybe for one or two others, but I still, I found it odd that yeah. by the time Deanna shows up and does stop the fight, with just the power of her words, by that point, half the town's standing around, and mm. so far, a beaten woman and a kid have tried to stop the fight, and mm. no one else. Mm. Deanna does stop it, though, and at a very similar moment, we see the red balloon one last time, and the red balloon's floating off. Mm. So I don't know if that's innocence lost or what that is, but off it goes. Mm. Deanna effectively stops the fight, and the two of them are sort of muttering threats at each other still. But then Rick pulls the gun that he's got, his covert Mm. gun. Do you think that was wise? No. Why would you reveal it at that point? Exactly. What does that get him, apart from revealing that they've stolen 
or at the very least he's stolen. I suppose they could pretend that it was just Rick. Yeah, I don't see what that gets him. If he wanted to kill Pete, he could have just continued strangling him. Clearly no one was intervening. And Deanna's voice certainly wasn't going to stop him if he didn't want it to. But strangling someone to death in front of the entire community, not a great way to start off your dictatorship necessarily. I mean, unless he wanted to be a dictatorship of fear, which has been tried before. Yes. (laughs) But yeah, no, I didn't think it was very smart. But I think at that point, he's in the grip of all of that adrenaline and all of those hormones bumping through his body, telling him that this is fight or flight. Yeah. He's probably not thinking that straight. Yeah, well, I suppose his line that he says a few times, that you fight or you die, Mm. I guess he picked option number one. But I feel like if he hadn't pulled the gun, this is a brawl between the two of them. They both fought... And obviously it would need to be dealt with, but that's one thing. Well, I think he was actually in an even stronger position than the one you just described. Jesse asked him for help. Well, he asked her if she wanted help and she said yes. Yes. Which is only marginally less strong than her asking him outright. Mm Mm-hmm. The point is, she indicated that she wanted help to get away from Pete. Yep. And he was providing it. Which is kind of his job. Like, that's the one that Deanna gave him. And then Pete... Attacked And then Pete attacked him. That's actually quite a strong position to be in. Yeah, I think you're right. He's in quite a strong position until he pulls until the gun. Until he pulls the gun. And he doesn't pull the gun on Pete. He pulls the gun on the community. So Rick proceeds to tell them all what's on his mind. <laughs> yes. Which is, none of you are fit to live in this world. <laughs> and it's an interesting situation because for all that I think... An awful lot of what he's saying is probably correct. Mm. And for all that I think his assessment is probably more reliable than Deanna's. And for all that I basically agree with most of what he's saying, he looks batshit crazy. Yeah. He's covered in blood. He's yep. pulled the gun when he didn't need to. He's, he's threatening people at large on the street. Yep. He manages to make sure that this point of view looks totally nuts. Yeah. He did not pick his moment. No. I mean, it's a complete antithesis to the kind of peaceful takeover that could have happened when, at a community meeting, when everyone got together, Rick stands up and says, This place is really nice, but you guys have been really lucky. This is what we know exists outside of these walls. You're not ready for it. We are. You've got to start listening to us. You know, I mean, that's basically what he was saying. That you're right, he looks like a raving madman. Yeah. Totally discrediting his position. Yeah. Some of the reactions were interesting. The way it's basically arranged is that Deanna and Co are in front of him and a lot of his group are behind him. So even though yeah. you don't get many focused reaction shots from people, you yeah. do see Carl ready to back up his dad but also freaked out by what's going on. And you do get a very specific reaction shot from Carol who looks rather pleased by this turn of events. Yes. <laughs> but I notice she's also protecting Sam. Yes. He's behind her. I think it's significant that she's protecting Sam, considering how cold she was to him. I mean, obviously, she feels a connection to him because of the fact that he's in a family where the father is abusive. Yeah. But it's... I guess this is part of me that is pleased that although she's fucking scary Carol, who's capable of making terrible threats to children... That what she actually does is protect them. And, yeah, and also, that's not a kid she's tying to a tree outside the wall. Yeah, and also, I can't remember if Carol calls to Sam or whether Sam runs to Carol. But clearly, whichever way it was, he stays with her. So he oh, yeah. trusts her. Yeah. While this is all playing out, the camera keeps cutting across to Sasha. 
mm-hmm. who's in the tower on her watch, and she is shooting the walkers that are starting to pile up a little bit against the fence. She's still looking really freaked out, but she's making every shot and killing every walker. Mm. One of the walkers has a big W on its forehead again. Again. So Before she blasts its face off. The thread is getting closer and closer. More yeah. walkers are turning up. Mm. She's making these headshots and protecting the community while Rick is giving his crazy speech. And I thought the effect this had was that even though Rick looked crazy, it acted a little bit as a reminder that some of what he's saying is true. Did we see a couple of people, I think maybe it was Nicholas, Mm. who visibly turned around to look at the clock tower where the shots were coming from? Yeah. So, yeah, I think, uh, you're right. It was something that was going on, but also I think something that was noticed by the people who were there. Yeah. I think as well it was... That was Nicholas kind of realising, oh, at this moment, the woman in the clock tower from Rick's group could take us all out. Yes. They yes. have actually already taken over in some ways. <laughs> yes. So Rick's getting into full flow, starting to rant, basically. Yes. And Michonne just comes in and punches him out. Yeah. Out in one. Yeah. I was stunned by that. Mm. The first thing I thought afterwards was, Michonne really wants to stay. (laughs) Despite her feeling like she was asleep inside, she doesn't want to be out there again. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting from the point of view that Deanna clearly saw this happen. Mm -hmm. So she's aware that not everyone is necessarily on board with what he was saying, which makes it a more complex situation for her to deal with. It's not going to be just as simple as... Turn them all out. Oh, no. Now they've been there for a little while, this is going to be a very complicated knot to untie if Mm. these two groups need to separate again. Yes. That's the whole episode. Mm. One thing I noticed right at the end there, the walker with the W on its forehead, Sasha shot in those final set of shots, she shot that walker and we saw the W just as Rick said, if this community is going to stay standing. Yep. The timing, I think is meant to indicate that whatever this W is, is it's a threat that's big enough to actually take down this community. Yep. I didn't notice that, but I have to admit that was something that was in my mind already. Mm-hmm. That whatever this W is, it's going to threaten Alexandria. Mm. I think that's fairly obvious. Oh, Even yeah. if that hadn't happened, but that's kind of symbolic icing on the cake. <laughs> Absolutely. The W threat could be a threat that's outside the walls and anyone who has to go out for a run or going out looking for other groups encounters it. Mm. But it's a big step up to say that whatever's going to turn up is going to be a threat to the incredible steel walls of Alexandria. (laughs) Yes. Do you have any predictions for the finale? I mean, I'm kind of drawing upon the preview now, (laughs) so it's a little bit like cheating. But I think that, unfortunately, what should have happened to Pete, which was a community discussion about what do we do about this person, is now going to be had about Rick. Mm -hmm. And that's a real shame. That's not what should be happening. But I think that's something that's going to happen. I think there's got to be some kind of reveal as to what the W's are, what they mean, and hopefully what all of these cutting limbs off of bodies means. Mm. You know, someone's torso collection. Yeah, like who is this person or these people who are doing these things and how are they going to threaten Alexandria? And I wonder when that threat comes to the fore, are the Alexandrians going to go, okay, let's just forget all of that stuff that just happened. All of you need to deal with this and we'll do what you say. (laughs) You know, whether the kind of danger that the group has been talking about since they arrived 
actually arriving, whether that will be enough to convince the Alexandrians that actually they don't know what the fuck they're doing. Yeah. When Maggie said last episode, well, of course, of course we're taking over all these positions. We are better at this than you. Mm. In some ways, that mirrors the problem of chucking out Peach. You need to have a surgeon. But what this group brings is very valuable as well. As long as the Alexandrians see that value. Yes. It's not the easiest thing in the world to chuck out Rick and probably several of his strong allies. Mm. Do you have predictions other than what um, we already talked about? I wonder if the reveal we're going to get about the W walkers and the threat that's out there isn't the reveal of them turning up at Alexandria, but the reveal of them capturing Daryl and Aaron. Oh, yeah. As one of the final scenes of the season, that yeah. could work. And we're all left wondering what's going to happen to them until September. Ugh, bastards. So that's, that's, <laughs> that's one possible way to play that out. Yeah. Even if it doesn't end up being the case that Rick gets kicked out of the community, whether they successfully take over or mm. any number of other scenarios, the thing that I'm really going to find interesting is how the group lines up behind him or doesn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, what if you're Eugene? The self-professed coward. Mm-hmm. Do you follow Rosita and Tara out into the world? How well is Tara? Can she even leave? Mm. It's going to be an interesting scenario. Yeah. Even if it's not one they have to actually play out. I feel like the definite leavers are Carol, Carl. Carl would never leave his dad. No. Enid might even go with them. Maybe. They've only really just formed a connection. But she might feel like this is a group of people who actually have the same experiences as her. Yep. We could see ourselves in a situation where the group splits up. Mm. That could be interesting. Mm. There's so many things that could happen. I'm sort of nervous because we've had so many disappointing season finales on this show. Yeah. But they have set it up really well. They've got more plates spinning at the same time than they normally manage. And if it actually pays off, I think this is in the running to be the best season finale we've had. It's a very dangerous thing to be hopeful about this. Uh, yes, I was going to say, you like to live dangerously, Kate. I do. <laughs> At the risk of also living dangerously, I have high hopes for the finale. Excellent. We shall watch them be lived up to or dashed together? Dashed. <laughs> dashed on the rocks of the reality. Of, of inevitability. <laughs> <laughs> what was your standout moment from this episode? I reckon my standout moment would have to be Sasha really losing it and us seeing just how much Sasha has lost it when she accuses Michonne of being fine. <laughs> you know, it easy. Hey, you know, everything worked out for you with your dead family and your life of being barely alive. Like, everything worked out fine for you. I lost a lover and a brother and I'm not okay. That was quite astonishing. Yeah. And... At that particular point in time, you know, Michonne doesn't say anything. I'm not sure whether that's because Michonne doesn't know what to say. I mean, she could just be thinking, wow, Sasha, you're really fucked up. Or she could be going, right, she needs to say this. She needs to talk about how she's feeling about what's happened to her, even if it doesn't make a lot of sense and it's hurtful to me. This is something that she needs to express. Well, I would endorse both of those readings. And I think on top of those meanings for them... What I saw was partly that she was aware that this was not Sasha in her right mind, and mm. you don't argue with crazy people. Mm. You let them have what's referred to as the crisis. You don't try and intervene at the peak of the crisis. <laughs> yes. But also, in the same way that Daryl, a couple of episodes ago, as a sort of metaphor for himself not being able to come into this community, had the horse, mm. 
I wonder if Michonne, who is who is struggling with the sense of having been asleep inside while stuff was going on outside, mm. and then coming outside and she does have that moment of rage where she shoots the walkers and she's having the flashbacks, and then immediately after, what she sees is someone who can't leave the outside behind. Yes. So I wonder if part of what's going on for her in that moment when she's staring at Sasha is saying, okay, this is what I'm going to look like if I can't find a way to let outside go a bit. Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it like that, but yeah, that sounds evidently plausible. Sure. (laughs) It'll do. It'll do. (laughs) What was your moment of awesomeness? As the general quality of the show gets better, Mm. it's harder and harder to pick out these moments. Mm. There isn't the one bit I enjoyed. It now actually is, which of all these great moments did I find the most fun? Yes. Well... In this podcast, the listeners probably won't have realised, but the space between Kate asking me the question, what was my standout moment, and my answer was about a minute long. Yes. We've edited that out. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it took me about a minute to pick mine. A and minute the, of ponderous silence. For exactly that reason, that, you know, I was basically going through the whole episode going, that was awesome. That was awesome too. That was really significant. <laughs> <laughs> Which one of these really significant things is, is in fact the most standouty one? But for me, the standout awesome moment was Glenn's confrontation with Nicholas. Oh, yeah. It was exactly what I wanted to see happen. It was exactly what I wanted to see someone say to Nicholas. I enjoyed it a lot. Mm. If you had a runner-up standout moment, what would you pick? I think it would be when Carl is following Enid, (laughs) and he just cannot see where she is until the moment where she's like, I'm right here, dickhead. (laughs) I think that'd be it. Okay. Small moment, but I liked it a lot. Yes, it was enjoyable. My second moment actually would be Deanna burning the note at the beginning of the episode. It felt very dark. It was very dark, and it was also the first real indication we have of what's going on inside her mind. Yeah. She's been very, very non-committal all the way up to now, seeming to be even-handed, you know, even when people are putting their positions very strongly to her. She doesn't give anything away Mm. about what she's actually thinking. For a first indication of what she's thinking, it's pretty fucking powerful. Yeah. So that, that was my second pick. Yeah. I thought it was a nice choice for a moment like that because it could conceivably just be that Deanna doesn't want to receive best wishes from anyone. Mm. Some people don't like that sort of compassion when they're going through grieving. They find it abrasive. Yep. So it's just ambiguous enough. Is it because it's from that group and she wants to see them all burn? Or she's angry with them, even if she knows that later on she's going to have to be even-handed? Part of me wonders whether Deanna is as good a judge as she says she is. Mm. Or maybe even better. And she's worked out that Carol isn't the way that she's portraying herself. Yes. And that the note that she's received is therefore an insult. This is this person pretending to care that my son is dead. You fucking liar. Yes, that could work as well. She knows it's a play. Mm. How dare you try and play me in this moment of grief. Yeah. Zombie kill of the week? (laughs) I want to say Sasha taking out the zombie with a W on its head right at the end. Oh, yeah. Because its face actually comes off. It was a pretty good shot. Yeah. (laughs) The rest of them are... I mean, really all of the kills are quite standard. Yeah. Knives or guns Mm. to the head. Mm. Actually, yeah, I think that is the best one to choose. I certainly can't think of a better one. Mm. What score would you give the episode out of ten? Eight. I really liked this episode. Mm. I thought it was really solid. Mm. I was sort of on an eight track, and then the final scene with Rick mm. bumped it up to an eight and a half for me. Cool. It just 
I believe him going over the top like that. Mm-hmm. I didn't think, well, this is just crazy, Rick. Where did this come from? No, you can see the build through the whole episode. And through the previous ones. Mm. So I bought this particular mental breakdown, unlike the one he experienced when Laurie died. Yeah. And it makes the whole situation really interesting. Rick has fucked up the takeover. Yeah. So what does his group do? And I am glad that we're finally honing in on what the fuck all these W walkers are. Yeah. So yeah. Eight and a half. Cool. Big step up on a couple of episodes ago. Yeah. I feel like this is a really solid run of episodes. For all that I found some of the early Alexandria ones a bit frustrating, mm. as the picture got very slowly painted. Yeah, well, I remember during those discussions, I was more generous because I... Well, I basically gave them the benefit of the doubt that all of this setup was going to pay off. And we're starting to see that climax... And you and I are very, very hopeful that it's going to be the climax we want. Exactly. And not a terrible anti-climax. But uh, I think that that, it's definitely started in this episode. Yes. When I get time to reflect on the episodes, I do still feel frustration about, for example, Maggie didn't even appear in this episode. Yep. What's going on? Gabriel's gone again. We can be happy about that. Well, where where (laughs) is Maggie reporting to the group what Gabriel's done? Yeah, and also, where is Eugene spending any time corroborating Glenn's story? Yeah, presumably he's just sitting by Tara's bedside. Or he's off trying to fix the electricity grid. Isn't that the whole reason they were out there? Uh, did they actually bring any of that shit back? Actually, I... no, you're right. I don't think they did. I don't think they did either. So, when I get time to reflect on the episodes, I still feel like all that stuff is there. Mm. But the stuff they have chosen to focus on is so entertaining. Yes. And is for the first time in quite a while, complicated and to some extent well-written and always still well-acted, but it's beefy enough that while I'm watching it, I'm not sitting there thinking about all those other things that are absent. It's sort of when I get a chance to reflect on the episodes. So that's good. They're entertaining enough that some of the flaws have started to be less noticeable. Cool. But they're still there. What the fuck's up with Maggie? (laughs) Yeah. Why is she sitting on the Gabriel thing? Mm. And if she's not, why aren't we seeing those conversations? I know. I agree. Maybe that's what all of next episode is. Maggie stealthily killing Gabriel. <laughs> I would love that episode. That would be amazing. I know, right? It was the whole episode. You see her planning it out. Yeah. And then luring him into, you know, some kind of trap. And then plunging the knife in. Yeah. And then getting away with it perfectly. Yeah, getting away with it perfectly. Yeah. In fact, framing Pete so that Rick is suddenly exonerated. <laughs> yes. It's a perfect crime. <laughs> I reckon framing Pete for it with Nicholas as an accomplice. That'd be great. Yeah. Well, that wraps it up for this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you have any feedback, please send it to tppfeedback at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter as at tppfeedback, and you can find us on Facebook by doing a search for The People's Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Unless it's cruel, then you can fuck right off. Bye! Fuckity bye! The revolution will not fight germs that may cause bad breath. The revolution will put you in the driver's seat. The revolution will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised. The revolution will be no rerun, brothers. The revolution will be live.
Keep walking. What? What are you... Dead. <laughs> There's the gun. <laughs> Smarting a terrible plan. Such a bad plan. Oh. <laughs> 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 we should go the other way, right? <laughs> <laughs> Not if you're Daryl Dixon. <laughs> Headwood, whatever. That's a terrible term. <laughs> I think we might 